Welcome to SkyCast episode 55, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 7, episode 12, The Stranger. So, what did you think? I really did like this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was one of the better ones of the season, and that's because a lot of it was just people sitting around and talking, which is my jam. Yeah, I think um, if you take away the... Like, the bird's eye view of what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And you just, like, microscope in on the mechanics of this episode. I thought it was very well done. I think there are a lot of really... There's a lot of character development. There's a lot of really great momentum, Mm -hmm. like, with the plot. I think um, there was a lot of revelations and talking. Finally getting those sort of, like, emotional beats that we've been waiting for. Um but with all of that said, <laughs> I think we, we need to talk about the Bob if issue. We, if we zoom out <laughs> and talk about this, look at this from the perspective of like, what does this mean for the show in this season and for our actors and, and, and the fans in general? I mean, there is some really troubling stuff happening here. Yeah. Um, you know, I just I, I feel like we have to talk about. Bob Morley and, and Jason Rothenberg and how so much of, of Bellamy's storyline right now feels like a punishment for Bob. Absolutely. Um, because this isn't Bellamy. Like you can you can see that Bob doesn't really know how to act. Um, this this version of Bellamy because I, I truly don't think that Bob believes Bellamy would ever be in this position. I agree, and I think it's very clear in the scenes with both Echo and Raven and Clark and Octavia that Bob is doing the work and he's like fulfilling the contract. Um, but, but his heart isn't in it. But he like way. doesn't really know. He doesn't really connect with this character. Mm-hmm. And so it's not coming across as believable as it, as the Bob performance usually does when he is doing Bellamy. Yeah. And I'm going to say something that is going to be controversial and it's going to be a, a hot take and it's not going to be logical, but I'm going to say it anyway. So the last time that I was this angry at Bellamy was obviously when he killed all of those um, 300 soldiers, you know, protecting them uh, because he thought that they would eventually turn on his people. Um, And obviously that was a horrible thing. And like me and you, we were just, we were like... Bellamy to die. You guys didn't know us back in Infamous Season 3, but... Hot diggity. I have never seen Britney specifically as <laughs> angry as I did the night that show aired. It requires my full name. <laughs> <laughs> I was beside myself. That I felt like somebody had taken Bell- Bellamy's character and like turned him inside out into somebody like someone had taken possession of mm-hmm. his character. And I think you're not wrong. No, I mean, that that wasn't that wasn't my statement. That no. was just a fact. Yeah. That was me setting up what I'm going to say, which is that for me, this is worse. And I know Bellamy's not killing anyone at this point in time. Um, and so I know that's like a ridiculous thing to say. But I think the one thing that um, makes me feel not okay about what Bellamy did killing all those people, but like... I can kind of understand where it came from when it's about protecting the people that you love and, and the, the lengths you'll go to that, even yeah. if, you know, you go a length too far and, and deeply regret it. Or, you know, in Bellamy's case, like 20,000 lengths too far. Yeah. Um, or 300, if you will. <laughs> um, but with this, 
he is actively kind of going against the people that he loves for an idea and that for me is just pretty much unforgivable and I know that Bellamy's not you know quite there yet like he's still kind of quote-unquote fighting for our people um but yeah. it's 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 not enough it's it's also fun I'm glad you brought that up too because I think that's important to talk about at the top about like the mixed messaging of this episode um I don't know how intentional or like to what degree the writers wanted to convey Bellamy's struggle with this new ideology Mm -hmm. um I definitely think there's they wanted there to be tension there but I do think that it was a little hard to watch him spout all of these I these new beliefs that Um, honestly we didn't even see where they came from but also like he is actively not act like none of his behavior is modeling that belief, you know, mm-hmm. because he spends the entire episode fighting for his friends. Um, and though he says some really terrible things about the links that he is willing to go to in order to, you know, do support his right. beliefs. Yeah. yeah. His, you know, it's like actions speak louder than words and he acts like he's, you know, wants to save them the entire episode. And so while I think it's true that he doesn't, know what he believes and he believes what he's saying if even if he's like contradicting himself Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to sort of interrogate at like what degree the writers wanted to convey that and what part of that is just like a little bit of like messy writing yeah you know I I don't know for me you know there's only four episodes left and I just keep thinking like is there even time for them to turn Bob's character around for me you know for Bellamy um after he killed those 300 people it took a large portion of the season until I was able to like not think about it as much, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, like obviously like I've never, he doesn't, he, he's not excused for what he's done, but I think he's tried to make up for it in well, other yeah, ways. It's taken four plus seasons of him continually atoning and thinking of that as like his lowest point that he needs to somehow redeem himself somehow make up for for us to to be on board with him even getting a redemption in the first place and you're right there's no runway left for him to do any of the necessary steps or make the kinds of atonements that he would need to do in order to feel good about this I just I just like Bob following a cult leader in the last four episodes of the show it's like or not Bob I'm sorry Bellamy (laughs) Bellamy. but But Bob having to do this yeah and that's the other thing is like it's just so sad because you Bob feels so deeply about Bellamy's character and has spent so long investing so much craft and specificity to this character and you can really feel how deeply deeply he cares about Bellamy as a performer that like this would be devastating to have to do especially playing opposite your wife who you met (laughs) on this show and you fell in love with because of the chemistry between your two characters. Yeah. So I have a lot of negative feelings right now, especially toward the writers, because again, like this really doesn't feel like something that is organic for the show. It feels like a punishment for Bob Morley. Yeah. I can't like, I cannot view this in any other way. Yeah. It's, it's hard to think of it in any other perspective without knowing any details at all. And of course we don't know what happened, but 
it feels like that's what's happening. And if this weren't the last season, this would also feel a little bit different. But since there's only four episodes left and like this is kind of the taste they're going to leave in our mouths of Bellamy, (laughs) you know, I I don't I just it's but the episode was good. (laughs) No, I mean, it's it's that's what I'm saying on like a in like a a zoomed out version there. It's like so deeply problematic, but on like an episode level, like mechanically it's a really good episode and Mm -hmm. I'm excited to talk about it because there is a lot of really good stuff happening here before we do that though I just wanted to call out um Tassiana 14 who left us a very beautiful review on iTunes we appreciate it so much so thank thank you you, thank you Tassiana um which reminds me um to remind all of you to go take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes it helps other fans of the 100 find us we've got four more to go let's all be in it together (laughs) um so please do that right now thank you thank you and without further ado let's get into the recap all righty so Murphy and Amori kneel for Shade Hedda, as do the convicts, but the children of Gabriel refuse, and so Shade Hedda kills them all. And on Bardo, Bellamy talks to Cadigan to find a way to save his friends from execution. Cadigan says that if they can find the flame and repair it, then Bellamy's friends will be pardoned. So first off, does Shade Hedda just underestimate Murphy? Or, you know, does like his, his like of Murphy um, make him less able to see the truth? Because there's a lot of instances in this show or in this episode with Murphy and also with Indra I'll get into later that it's just like, I, I, don't, I don't know why Shade Hedda's keeping these people around, you know? Oh, I think it's because he's bored and he, they amuse him and yeah. they challenge him. I think he sees through both of them and I think he knows how... I, well, I think it's hubris. I truly don't think that he feels like as long as he's in control of his faculties, anyone really poses a threat that he won't be able to take care of. And I also feel like ch- both Murphy and Indra pose different but challenging um, positions to him. And I think he just really enjoys the, the challenge. Because I was going to say, you know, it, it feels a little bit contradictory to him wanting to just, like, kill all of the people in the um, in the reactor because someday they might pose a threat to him. But I can kind of see, you know, you saying that, like, he enjoys the challenge. That makes a little, you know, and more sense. And I think, sense. like, there's a big difference between an entire group or population of people that will rise up. There's power in numbers as opposed to keeping one or two select persons alive to serve the purpose of amusement yeah like those are very different things okay okay all right all right all right yeah Yeah, (laughs) um so i guess another question before we really kind of dig into this opening scene which i have some thoughts about um it's not my favorite scene of the episode i will say so does it does it make sense to you that nelson claims the name Sachin at the end given what we just saw you know in the last couple of episodes yeah, I think that's so. In- it's an interesting question because I can kind of go both ways on it, but I have a feeling that you ask this rhetorically and have an opinion on it. No, I mean I do have an opinion, but it's not like a super strong opinion. I thought it was an interesting choice for them. Yeah, so I think at first glance, I I I kind of had like a knee jerk reaction to it, like, why would you claim the name of the people, people who rejected gave you, you away yeah. and then repeatedly rejected you yesterday? <laughs> um, that feels very strange why wouldn't you want to keep the name that you chose for yourself the people, the, the people who have raised and loved you have given you the people I, that you just held at gunpoint like a day ago you know um but I also feel like there is a a deeper way of looking at it which is that Nelson is finally reckoned with everything that has happened to him and the fact that he is a nil and that there is no point erasing or denying this part of his life and the only way to become 
whole and to move beyond it is to accept it. And so he was born such in, they did give him away. He was raised as a child of Gabriel. And that is finally where he has come to be at peace with this decision. And I think that's ultimately why he decides not to kneel, which again, we'll get into in a second. I, that's beautiful. And I definitely see where you're coming from there. I guess maybe I, um, object a little bit just on <laughs> did you guys hear Rue that would be Karu <laughs> uh maybe you guys object a little bit or I object a little bit on a um just my personal belief level which is that like the people who birth you are not necessarily your parents and the name that you're given at birth doesn't always match who you are and it just like felt weird that it's almost like it almost felt to me like he was rejecting the children of Gabriel status by like taking this name that you know, he'd had for all of his life. Yeah. Um, since, no, you know, he was an infant. I, that was definitely the way that I reacted to it at first. And I completely agree with you that it's not the parents, your biological parents are not necessarily your family. Um, but I do like the way you phrased it. Perhaps that could have been like uh, integrated a little bit more into this episode or like the last couple of episodes with him accepting that. But well, I think everything about the <laughs> Nelson character was mishandled this episode. Yeah. Um, I do think, I mean, like, let's just get into it. This was definitely one of the most disturbing things we've seen on this show in a while. I think shooting Nelson, who is a, a BIPOC character, played by a BIPOC actor, in the head. Or BIPOC, not like BIPOC. <laughs> BIPOC, yes, excuse yeah. me. Um, a person of color. Yeah. Um, in the head with a machine gun, basically at point blank range, was a choice. And it was a choice that I disagree with. Yeah. Fundamentally um, for not just because of the optics, like it, but like not to dismiss the optics. No, absolutely. Like, because of the optics. It's, it's really bad. I mean, like, let's think about it. The last time that we had a person of color on the show shot in the head at point blank range was Lincoln. was Lincoln. And that was not okay either. No. Um, and so I do, you know, I, again, the show has made a lot of strides casting, um, people of color into I would say ethnically ambiguous characters mm -hmm. um and I don't want to discredit them but I also think that they are sometimes for the sake of expediency uh for whatever reason whether it's plot driven or an actor needs to leave the show or whatever obstinately um unaware of the way that their choices play out in the real world which is like so irresponsible and so inconsiderate of their fans look i get that like when they filmed this like the black lives matter movement hadn't i mean it, it was going on but it hadn't happened in the, the way that it really like rose up this summer um and i'm not i'm not actually sure what ethnicity um nelson is i, I, think, I think he, he is, middle, is middle east that's what i was thinking I so like i don't think that. he's black but but i'm just saying like i i realize that this kind of movement um, about people of color in general has gotten very strong this summer um, and they filmed it before this, but like it wasn't gone like that, like the, the optics of having a man of color be shot in the head by a white, by a white man, man um, are really bad. They're just really bad. And it's like, they, they made a choice to use the machine gun because we've seen Russell use a lot of different, uh, you know, weapons. And it could have been, if, if he had used, you know, a sword, it still would have been really violent. But I don't think it would have, like, impacted me watching it in quite the same way. Like, negatively, like, I don't want to use the word triggered because that's not correct. But just, like, I, I, I did not enjoy Well, yeah, and this. I mean, I think, like, that's, it's, like, 
there's so many things that we need to like dig into here because I think you're right. I think the reason why they chose to have it a machine gun or any gun um, is for the like sort of the shock value of that. But again, that is sick. Yeah. You know, because you can't like the shock value is not part and parcel. We can't take that out of context of like how horribly charged the idea of like shot like what a gun represents in america and our culture right now like there's just against black people against people of color like it's just you can't divorce them and so for them to go for the cheap shot of going for the shock value with it by and then just completely ignoring that context is inappropriate and unprofessional and i also think that like when i said earlier like it's not just about the optics but i'm what i meant by that because i do think you're right that the optics are what is the major issue with this is but I also think that it's important to acknowledge that the reason why they killed Nelson off in the first place here is just for expediency yeah there's no there was no um like character I didn't feel like like you were saying earlier I didn't get like a final moment with Nelson we didn't have like any sort of like wrap up no change no or, or even like we didn't even get like a you know any sort of like catharsis with him and I don't think that his, like, defiance to Neil serves the purpose of, like, wrapping up his character arc. No, because that's where he started. One. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just clearly they bit off too much than they could chew this season. Uh, the children of Gabriel have been messy and displaced and all over the place all season. And they got to, like, the last four episodes and were like, eh we have way too many people and way too much plot. We have to cut some things off here. And mm-hmm. they shot them off. Um, and they did it in the most grotesque and inappropriate and insensitive way they could have. And then just like wipe their hands of it. Yeah. And it's sad too, because Nelson was one of the more interesting characters of the new ones they've introduced this season. Um, guess who's not Nikki. Nikki's not at Nikki's all. Nikki's not. And she's <laughs> white and she is still here. And she's still around. Um, yeah. So, you know, so ultimately, it's, it's just like, what was the point what, of it all? Yeah, I mean, like, what was the point of having the children of Gabriel around this season? You know, it just, their death serves no function other than getting them off the show. And I don't feel like there's any emotional repercussions for any of our remaining characters here. Like, um, later, Amori is like, oh, the children of Gabriel are dead? All of them? Done. End of beat. Like, well, I mean, I don't think, she, I mean, she was sad about it. No, no, I'm, I and mean, I she's think sad about Luca it, like, is an interesting addition um, of the the like new generation of of people who weren't as torn apart as their parents were, um, as we've seen with Luca and Rex, yeah, and Maddie. Um, but still, it just like it's it's not enough. It, it was just a weird choice overall. It was a it was a strange choice. So and a really poor note to kick off the episode. Yeah. Which is okay because it just like it got better. It got for better, you. yeah. <laughs> um, so we we go into uh, the Bardo section and they're in the stone room and Gabriel hits on Bellamy. Yes, he does. Uh, Bellamy <laughs> looks good in white, you know that he says. He kind of like looks him up and down, and uh, you know. I'm into it. Gives him a little nod. (laughs) A little okay. Maybe Gabriel's been feeling some vibes between Dosette and Bellamy, and he's like, I gotta stake my claim. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta get in on this action. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't mind it. Again, I would ship Gabriel with a, like, a pole. Um, (laughs) A piece of wood. And it is funny, too, because, like, Bellamy may look good in white, but he looks ridiculous in this outfit. Oh, my God. But especially his haircut. Yeah. (laughs) His haircut is atrocious, and he should sue. Um... 
So Bellamy asks if he can have a moment alone with Bill, um, and Bill says yes, which I think is really interesting because I think it shows that Bellamy already has like some preferen preferential treatment and privileges that a lot of the other disciples don't have. And I'm trying to discern if that's because Bill is just using Bellamy and, and like knows that he is the closest person to this group of people that he needs information out of, or if he truly feels like Bellamy is like one of his most devout disciples. I don't necessarily think it's that Bellamy's getting um, special treatment. I just think it's Bellamy's asking for it. And I don't feel like a lot of his disciples would even dare um, because they like kind of view him as this like holy person, you know, mm -hmm. whereas like Bellamy, even though he says, you know, this guy's my shepherd, I think he, as we see in this scene, is still questioning things and is still trying to, like, figure out what he truly believes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I took it. I don't know. I just feel like there's something very paternal about the way, and he even compares him to Reese later, um, that Cadigan seems to just be really drawn toward Bellamy and gives him, like, a little bit more leeway than I think he would, say, an extra. Well, I, I do think that... <laughs> It helps that Bellamy is new to his flock, if you will. Um, he's the only one out of everyone in Bardo that hasn't believed this his whole life, um, except Cadigan himself. And so I do very much think that Cadigan believes what he's saying. Um, do I think Cadigan is right? Obviously not. But I think that he is interested to meet someone else who've like who's reached this belief on their own, I guess you can say, even though that's not quite true. You know, like yeah. Bellamy had a, an epiphany in the same way that Cadigan had an epiphany um, in this specific cave they were in. So Got I it. think yeah, maybe that makes sense. Just... I think you're right. Uh, Cadigan, <laughs> oh, before, before, you know, Bellamy and him really start talking, Cadigan is whining to Gabriel being like, you told me that Clark has the key and Gabe comes in and he's all like, well, technically I didn't say that. You saw it in Octavia's mind. I, I just, just didn't, didn't correct you, <laughs> <laughs> which I appreciated. Yes. It's a technicality, but I didn't lie. Um, so everyone leaves and then Bellamy, you know, sits down with Cadigan and, you know, we see here and we mentioned it too at the beginning of the episode that Bellamy clearly isn't as far gone as honestly he thinks that he is. Yeah. Um, because he's still trying to save his friends above all else. Like they're still top of his mind in this um, episode, at least. It, it's not enough for me, like I mentioned, but like that's something at least. Yeah. It's something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Um, and then, you know, Cadigan is like, well, I guess you can say that I am sort of close to Anders, given that I've met him twice and I've only met everyone else once. And I'm like, Cadigan, dude, like bragging about not having any friends. It's not not a great look for you. Like, it doesn't make you a higher being. It just makes you kind of sad. Yeah. And also, like, again, you it's so funny because he th he like holds himself to this super high standard and thinks that he is the paragon of this standard. But like, you, you, you can't claim that you love all humanity equally or like don't love humanity equally <laughs> when you like clearly don't even care about this guy. Yeah. That's not sacrifice again. That does, that's not what that means. In fact, it should be the other way it around. It should be the other he way around. He should care deeply, deeply about Anders. Right. Um, but again, that's he, obviously, there's a lot of flaws in this. So twisted. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he, 
he tells Bellamy that you remind me of my son Reese. And I was like, wow, he just slapped Bellamy in the face. Like, <laughs> yeah, Bellamy, you don't know, but that's not a compliment. <laughs> we all met Reese. That's like the, the stealthiest insults I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think he sort of meant it not as a compliment you know yeah I mean definitely Bellamy took it as a compliment because he like smiled a little and obviously like a normal person would mean it as a compliment I think that Cadigan didn't I mean we know that Cadigan really didn't look at Reese um as highly as he looked at Callie yeah so Reese was kind of like a sheep to him um it was he was like a lieutenant you know like he was in the army he would do what he was told which is useful but it's not challenging or interesting to him, to Cadigan. So agreed. And I, you know, when Cadigan goes on to say that um, it's likely that Callie killed Reese, um, he'll never know for sure. He just displays no emotion, none at all, like a psychopath. Which again, especially because like it hasn't been that long for him, years. But you know, not like even if it had been that long for him, these are your biological children. Like, well, no, I, I'm saying like, for example. For Gabriel, there are some things that just happened 300 years ago, you mm-hmm. know? But, like, for Cadigan, I mean, like, 300 years is a long time. Even if it's still, you know, is emotional to you, there's just a lot that happens in between there that kind of, like, numbs some of the past. Yeah. Whereas Cadigan, that would have been, what, a decade ago? We've kind of talked about, yeah. like, a decade, maybe 15 years. And yeah. Losing a child is not something that you're going to, like, just get past Both them. of your children. I mean, both of your children, And yes. then also the idea that one of them could have murdered the other. I mean, that should be the most deeply upsetting and failure as a parent. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I did want to point out that it's interesting that he assumes that Callie must have murdered Reese rather than Reese, like, turning against him and staying with Callie. Right. And I don't know if it's just because he doesn't think that Reese has it in him to do that or if he's just so um, convinced that Reese is loyal to him that he can't imagine, you know, any other version of Reese possible. Yeah, I also think it's it's probably both of those things and then a little bit of Katnigan being so sure that he's correct and the right mm-hmm. in all things and Reese saw that and w- agreed with him that like there was no chance of him turning away from the truth or whatever yeah. Quill perceives as the truth. Yeah. Um and yeah, so then we learn at the end of this scene that just like Bellamy, Katnigan is also not unsusceptible to human connection you know it's just this like tiny temptation of being reunited with Callie again um dangled right in front of him and he caves and says you know I'll make a deal with you to get the back the flame and save your friends which just undermines everything that he's just told Mm -hmm. Bellamy and asking Bellamy to do and so it kind of I I couldn't tell I don't think Bellamy necessarily looks at it that way even though Bellamy literally came in here and was caught testing Cadigan no Um, that's the strange thing and that's what I think is murky with the writing uh is I'm not sure where they think I don't know if they know where Bellamy and Cadigan lie on this scale Mm -hmm. and what what we are clearly perceiving and what they are perceiving or or comprehending is very confusing to me because neither of them are acting the way that they're saying they're acting and they also aren't recognizing it in each other yeah it's confusing. Yeah. 
So Bellamy goes to talk to Echo and Raven, who both refuse to say where the flame is. Bellamy sends Raven to MCAP, and Echo's horrified by this change in him and tries to get him to see reason, but Bellamy tells her that his beliefs are more important than his friends. And I think this is a breakup. Oh my god, I <laughs> really hope so. I really hope so. Um, the script had a bit between Echo and Raven uh, before Bellamy comes in, um, and I really liked the little bit that was said. It was just like a nice moment between Raven and Echo, with Echo trying to kind of come to terms with the things that she had done or almost did uh, for Bellamy and then for him to like, you know, be this person that she doesn't even recognize. I just think, you know, again, I love when characters are just able to like really sit and marinate in their feelings. And so when things feel a little bit rushed, which I don't, I wouldn't say they do this episode, um, but I, I, I like characters being allowed to give those 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 little talks with each other and so I would have actually liked to have that little bit left in here yeah and I also just think it it again you know I think we get so little interaction between any of our (laughs) female characters with each other it's just always a refreshing moment when we do although I won't say like this season we have had a lot of like women together um which has been great but yeah it has it it really really has um but I always want more so (laughs) I want more and I I think it was a little too late and I also think that it was because of a lot of plot choices that I didn't necessarily agree with and mm-hmm. so it was like at the expense of a lot of things that I feel like harmed the season we that's a different conversation <laughs> um uh, yeah. I do want to say though is it a little weird that Bellamy tells them to keep their voice down because the disciples are listening like I, I don't really I don't think that that bit gels with the rest of what's going on because Bellamy's here for information for them you know yeah, like I bumped on that too and I don't have a good answer for this other than I think there's a part of him that is just trying to keep them as safe as he can and I don't think pissing off the guards even yeah. more or like keep them from like incriminating themselves yeah, further exactly. okay I can see um, that but I, I also bumped on that I thought that was a little weird and I I just gotta say like throughout this entire scene Bellamy has no emotional reaction to Echo or Raven at all like oh he gosh, is yeah. completely unaffected he is ice when he comes in and he's like it's great to see you both echo your Your face face. (laughs) it's just like what is happening and again it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly where the bob performance stops and the bellamy um brainwashing begins Mm -hmm. because i think he is supposed to be he is supposed to have this affectation right he's supposed to sound kind of like a zombie but at the same time i do think there is like a like I think Bob is such a good performer that you could give him anything and he could make it compelling mm-hmm. in a way that I'm I don't fully buy any of this and I think it's because Bob doesn't buy yeah, any of I this. Yeah, I think again I really don't feel like Bob is like putting his heart into this. Yeah. But we'll get even in more to this <laughs> later. Um but it, it's worth mentioning here. I do love that Raven is like righteously angry at Bellamy for a reason I agree with. Yes. You know, like I feel it's like a nice lot of times, of yeah, she's like righteously in, in recent seasons, at least she's righteously angry at someone that I don't agree with, um, which is really just Clark. I guess <laughs> let's just really be honest. Just it was just Clark. Yeah. But, but it's <laughs> like, you know, Bellamy is like so far on the wrong side of things where it's like, yeah, it's like Raven drag has him. no other position to take than to align with what we are also thinking. You so tell him, Raven, you spit in his face. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, when he finally sees that he's like not getting anywhere with Raven, he tells the guards to take this one to MCAP. Um, and I think it's really interesting that he doesn't use her name. I think this really speaks to like the psychological way that he's distanced himself from his formal family by not naming them. 
And I think that's why Raven immediately calls him out on it and says so much for family because he's just like completely disassociated. It's just like, can you imagine if your brother just turned on you like this? Like was willing to let you be tortured? Well, that's, I'm glad you just brought that up because I was going to ask you, like, should we talk about the fact that once again, Raven is being tortured? She is. They don't show it though, which is unlike this show. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there have, I mean, like everyone's kind of been tortured at some point or another. I thought it was really interesting that they don't show it and that I don't, does she, does she fight it? Do they like realize that she doesn't know where the flame was? Because I, they would have, like, if, if they'd actually gotten to her mind, they would at least know that Clark had the flame, right? I feel like it's maybe possible they didn't actually interrogate her and that they were like in the middle of prepping or maybe just starting when they got Clark. And so maybe. they like stuck Clark in there because at the end of the episode, I'm like all now working through this in my head live. Um, you know, she's, she looks perfectly fine and is acting perfectly fine. She does not seem like someone who just endured torture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they didn't torture her after all. I mean, that's I'm like walking myself back here. <laughs> Maybe they didn't. Whatever the case, it's it's weird that they would have this happen. Like they would have her be sent to MCAP and then not show it and not reference it at all. So like us having no idea what happened. Exactly. There. I think that's really strange and a really weird disconnect. Mm-hmm. A little like loophole, not a loophole, plot hole yeah. in, the, in the episode. Um, so switching over from Raven it is there's there's a conversation between echo and bellamy that is just real rough um and it just feels really backhanded to me when bellamy tells echo that he's the man that she or he's still the man that she loves um phrasing it that way when it almost like like very clearly seems like he's saying like i i don't love you in the same way anymore um it's just like a very like i'm the man that you love now you know i love the shepherd more now so none of this feels like really important to me but (laughs) no i i honestly i completely agree with you um and i really wanted echo to respond with like you know very cliched line the man i love died in the explosion or like some variation of that which sort of speaks to the fact that like he might as well be dead. He is so different from who he used to Bellamy. be. Because he's not Bellamy. Yeah, he's just not. It really feels like a missed opportunity there. <laughs> <laughs> we should have been writers. We should have. Um, I am really, really glad, though, that Echo explained a little further why she scarred her face. Uh, because I was a little bit confused uh, when that actually happened on the show, what her actual intent was. And so it does really help me to kind of understand her mind space. And that the reason that she did it was so that, like when they messed with her mind and training that she was able to look at herself in the mirror and be reminded of who she was. Yeah. And what she was fighting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I re- I so really I, I really that liked too. that. I agree completely. I, I'm glad that they came back to this and sort of acknowledged what was going on there. Cause it was a little, it was a little messy. Yeah. Um, and so then at the end of this conversation, Belle offers echo, what I can only describe as like a shadow of an apology and is basically like, they're there. Um, I'm sorry you went through all of this five years training, three months of indoctrination, thinking I was dead, almost murdering everyone. You know, I'm real sorry about that. I mean, it's clear he's not sorry at all. Well, it just is clear like his, the, the depth of his emotions aren't there. Like, I think he is sorry, but it's just like, you know, the Bellamy that we know 
is passionate about everything that he does. And that was, you know, I think we had Bellamy 1.0, which was, you know, very brash. And um, he was, he was the, obviously the best Bellamy. <laughs> I loved Bellamy. And then 1.0. we had Bellamy 2.0, which was when he came back from space and yeah, was all was, like, oh, I'm going to use my head, blah, blah, blah. And rough. then I feel like last season we got a really nice mix of, of Bellamy 1.0 and 2.0. Yeah, so we decided to call him Bellamy. Was it 1.0? No. I thought we called him 1.5. Was it 1.5 or yeah. 3.0? Oh, I can't remember what we called it, but I really well, thought it was 1.5. This is Bellamy zero. This is negative seven. This is Bellamy with no Bellamy in it. Negative so. four. <laughs> um, and so it's just like every everything just reads so wrong. Well, and it's also like, you know, I don't think he's sorry. I think he's, it's, I think he can like, like objectively look at all of the, the trauma she's been through in the last five plus years is a bad thing that happened to her but he's not apologetic about it like it's not like he feels bad about the part that he played in any of well, this I mean but he like, didn't play a part in any of this to be fair he did not ask her to do any of no this. that's true that's true but I think as any anybody who has any sort of empathy in their in them would feel for a romantic partner right, especially uh would feel <laughs> for them and it's clear that he doesn't not in the way that Echo feels, at least. Um, and then, you know, where Bellamy really loses me this episode. Which is um, saying something. It's, it's honestly, like, the most unforgivable thing in this episode to me is he doesn't admit it, but his silence speaks volumes. And it's his silence on the fact that he would let them all be executed if it came down to it. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want that to happen, but if it has to happen, he will let it happen. And that is, like... That is unforgivable for me. I mean, again, there is like a microscopic part of me that's like, maybe it's a, maybe it is a, a secret plan. <laughs> I know that you have to feel this way to like exist, keep sane, um, to like sleep at night. But, but like, I know, I mean, there, like 99.9999999999% <laughs> of me is very much understands like this is real. Um, and it's sad. Yeah. It's so sad. It's I mean, really it's sad. It's just like the last four episodes. I just can't. Uh, <laughs> um, Bellamy asks Echo what he should do because, like, he believes something they think should, is crazy. And Echo's like, you know what? I guess you're just going to have to watch us all die. And that is just – it was, like, such a cold line, and I loved it so much. And I was like, yes, girl. I mean, it was especially excellent because the, the way she delivered it was just as cold as the way he'd been with her. It was. And it was also, like – so precise mm -hmm. you know it was you know he, this entire conversation it, it's like he's had the upper hand because she's been so emotionally vulnerable with him and he's not giving anything back and then for him to basically finally get to like what I would call like his most vulnerable moment in this exchange which is barely anything mm -hmm. and for her to say something that you know like very level-headedly being like this is the situation you find yourself in you are going to have to watch us die and yeah. it was just like so precise it was excellent it was and then bellamy leaves without even a goodbye or like without even trying to convince echo of his ideas um which is like just a dick move yeah no he has no courtesy for her feelings or basically the fact that that they're done and like if this wasn't a breakup like echo girlfriend you know what I mean? Like, get the fuck out of there. I mean, I just think this scene so thoroughly demonstrates that, like, Echo deserves and has always deserved a better partner to share her life with than Bellamy. He's never been there for her the way that she needs him. Part of that is his fault. Part of it is hers. 
Um, you I know, don't and think that's true. I don't think any of it is her fault. I think she's tried to open up with him. I mean, like, way. I mean, I think the way that she, like... Oh, you mean, like, when the, before fall, they were yeah. together? Okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, if he wasn't emotionally available to her before, and because their relationship sort of mirrored more of, like, a leader-follower sort of dynamic, that was already a clear enough sign that Echo needs to get the fuck out of there, but, like, now it's, it's like, he's willing... I mean, you're... Echo, you're willing to destroy everything and yourself for this person and he didn't even give you a moment's thought courtesy of like explaining himself he he doesn't and I realize that part of that is just like the writers don't want to have Bellamy repeating the same information twice um and so we see him you know actually like explain himself to Clark and Octavia but you cannot you know separate that from again the optics of what this looks like which is that he cares much more for Octavia and Clark than he ever has for Echo. I mean, exactly. Like, Echo's always been number, number three, three, if that, honestly. Exactly. No, so. you're, that's exactly what I was going to say, and that's exactly right. It's like you, by positioning it in this way, you have demoted Echo once again, and it's unacceptable. Dump him! And I, I just, I like really hope that we get a little bit more time with Echo in this season to kind of really think on the fact that, like, Again, she followed this person who she believed in and she did all of this because she wanted to help them and then for them to be so, I don't want to use the word unworthy because I don't think that Echo should have been trying to murder everybody, Um, but for them to just like be so cavalier with you and your feelings, I, I just really need her to realize that like, I need to stop following people and doing things that I know are wrong for them right um i need to like be my own person and follow my own path you know and, and my own moral compass yeah yeah a hundred percent i really you know that's like one of my biggest hopes for the last four episodes is some sort of revelation like that and I'm, I'm just a little worried because we're like running out of time and echo's storyline is still a little messy so yeah <laughs> so we'll see how it ends but i'm, I'm just i'm a little nervous So on Sanctum, Indra discovers that Luca is still alive and has him play dead while she drags him away. Murphy and Amori are still hiding people in the reactor, and Amori is impressed with and a little turned on by how much John seems to care about these people. Indra comes in and drops off a traumatized Luca, and Amori ushers him away. Then Nikki comes to the door and makes Murphy open the reactor at gunpoint, but Amori had seen Nikki on the cameras and is able to knock her out. So first off... It does crack me up that, like, everyone seems to think that Clark and co. are just, like, gallivanting around the woods still. Yes, they're armed and extremely dangerous. (laughs) They're not even here. Literally not on the planet. (laughs) Um, And then I just, this is, like, a little thing. So we find out in this scene that uh, Shade Hedda had seen the Anomaly Stone before in um, when he had the flame. Mm -hmm. And then they show him that, like, oh, the Anomaly Stone, or there is an Anomaly Stone just like it here on this planet. I just, I want to see a little bit more questioning from them because none of them know that the Anomaly is a wormhole, you know? So, like, the fact that he, like, saw that stone on Earth and then he saw, like, there's an identical one here is just, like, I mean, like, is anyone going to ask any questions? Yeah, I guess not. We just simply do not have the time. I I know. And I guess it's true, like, I don't really care about them asking questions because I know the information but but it just seemed like a little yeah just it, like brush it off read, it read a little weird that's true um so Shade Hedda plays it off like Indra is just like paying extra attention when he's like making all these threats about finding finally finding what he's going to do to all these people when he finally finds them but it's clear that he wanted to make sure that she heard him talk about how serious he is 
about this, um, specifically so that she would go and warn the others and that he could tail her. Like, he's playing chess again. And again, Indra is not quite up to the task of playing back. Yeah, you know, I had talked a little bit earlier on in this episode about why she had to keep Murphy around, and then I mentioned Indra as well, and I do think that you're right in a lot of ways in that, like, Indra is interesting to him. Um, he does respect her, and she does challenge him. But I just keep thinking, like, like, dude, like, Indra... Like, I get Murphy on some level, because I think that Shade Hedda does... I don't want to say the word underestimate, but I think Shade Hedda believes that he knows Murphy, and he knows a version of Murphy, but it's a version that Murphy himself is currently moving away from. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, like, a bit of a disconnect there. But with Indra, like, she's obviously going to be plotting against you. Like, she's obviously not going to be on your side. Yeah, I know. It's just, I think it's, like, complete and total hubris. I also think it's a little bit of loneliness. I think that she represents um, a moment in his past where he was all-powerful and Mm -hmm. dominating, and there's, like, almost no touchstones from that moment. And I think she's, like, that only connection... And the fear that he inspires in her, I think he thrives off of. Yeah, I think that's he true. loves knowing that there's someone who truly knows what he's capable of and is able to come to use that fear against them in a way that, like, he's starting from scratch with everyone else. Those are really good points. I mean, surely, though, there are some of them there who remember. I'm sure there are, too. We but just but I do, those are really good points I like. I like that take. Thank you. Um, I did think it was like a particularly charming moment when Shade had a attempts to humiliate and subjugate Tree Crew even further by making up making them clean up the bloodshed and I, I think, you know, he clearly sees them as the biggest threat to his position and is constantly undermining their authority and their power. I mean it's true because they are because Indra is one of them. Right. Like Indra is the greatest threat to his authority. Right. Um, because she has so much loyalty among the, the crew. Yeah. Um, you know, except for Sangeta crew who clearly sucks. Yeah. <laughs> they all need to go away now. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention, like, I'm so relieved that Luca survived. Phew. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I forgot about him and then they let's like just, let's just not with the killing children. Yeah, let's no, not I don't do want to kill any more no. kids. Um, and also we find out later in this scene at the reactor with Murphy that your best friend, Trey, is alive. Yes, he is. It's a big bummer for right. you. I shed some tears. Um, really sad that his body wasn't lying in the also, <laughs> in the reliquary. Still a dick. Still the worst. Yep. Not even a dick, just like pathetic. He's just useless. the worst. <laughs> like he has no positive contribution. Truly none. None. Like literally nothing he does he is does, interesting or helpful. He, all he does is complain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have Jerry here where it's like like Jerry, like remember you were gonna burn your kid alive like two days ago? <laughs> and then like yes no, like an hour ago you tried to pawn your kid on Murphy because you were like, Oh my god, I'm dying and now you're just like up walking around. <laughs> Murphy was like <laughs> I think he you're gonna be beasting. <laughs> Get up. It's like that you man, got a paper cut, he's sir. He's like the man is drowning, and he's like, it's like two feet of water. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also Murphy displays that he truly has quite the insight into Shadehead's mind here and can accurately predict his moves and plans far into the future, which I think is kind of a feat after only one game of chess, you know? Shadehead must have really showed his hand in that impression. game. Yeah. <laughs> Or Murphy's just that good, which that he's is true. He is very good. I, I he is very insightful. I do think that. Yeah. Um, for for villains at least. <laughs> yes, I, I do. I mean, like, I think his villainous behavior in the past 
tends to give him more of an advantage mm-hmm. in understanding his opponents. Well, I guess not just like villains, but like survivalists or not. That's not really the survivors. word. Like survivors. Thank you. That's the word I was looking survivalists for. Survivalists are people who like <laughs> yeah. live in their compound. <laughs> yes. Survivors. I think Murphy um, is used to thinking about how he himself is going to survive. And so he's able to kind of pull out those um, thought processes of others as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Murphy and Maury are very cute in this scene. I won't lie. No, they're so cute. And I love how turned on Amori gets when Murphy acts selflessly. Yeah, you know, I, I've had my issues with uh, Memori in the past. Um and those issues aren't gone, but I really still like it. And I just wish that they would have, you know, resolved those issues before, you know, they became stronger, but they're clearly never going to do that. So, no, um, but I do, I don't think that takes away from the fact that Richard and Louisa have excellent chemistry. Oh my gosh. So much. And just brighten up every scene that they're in together. And so whether or not that like all of the character work has been done the way we want it to, it doesn't take away from the fact that these two are just like, that's why I'm saying like, I still love it even with, you know, all of this work that was just left undone. Yeah. But if they're an excellent pairing and you know, they're never not great. Um, I did think it was really funny when they were like about to have sex and the mattress was like so terrible <laughs> and they were both like, ah, my back, my back. But like, seriously though, stop clock, uh, cock blocking Murphy and Amori 2K20. You know what I mean? Like this whole season, they keep trying to have sex and they keep being interrupted. Well, to be fair, they're trying to have sex in the middle of like a state of emergency. <laughs> so I mean, you gotta like take care of the basic needs, even in the state of emergency. <laughs> Fine, but then don't complain when you get interrupted. <laughs> um, but so so Andrew brings Luca in here, and we really see again that they are just hammering it in that Murphy's the best parent. You know, yeah, he's the sweetest, the most fatherly. He loves kids so much. He remember when he tried to kill that kid Charlotte? in episode four? Yeah, yes, I do. I do remember <laughs> that. And they're also starting in on Amori now too, because she's like, "It's okay, you're safe now, Luca," and like wraps her arms around him. And she was not that maternal before. No, but I will say that we'd seen a lot of her um, love for the people who who were in this town that's true earlier this season so that's like not true. necessarily maternal but definitely like um she, she like cares about them yeah I think that's true but I also think that there is like a bit more of like a maternal yeah kink happening here so again like is she pregnant is know. she not like who the hell knows and there's also that moment later which I don't think we wrote in the show notes so I think I can bring it up now where Murphy's like I wish I could have known you as a kid which yeah. just like spoke to the idea of like I don't know. For some reason, I was like, they're definitely pregnant. I don't know why that makes me think <laughs> more than anything else. I was like, my God, they're pregnant, but it does. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, before, you know, this scene ends, <coughs> Indra tells Murphy that she's proud of him, uh, along with um, Amori telling him that and Jerry in some way telling him that. Um, but with, with Indra saying it, it's just, it really is setting Murphy up to die very soon. Like everyone being like, I'm so proud of you. Like this is the, the beginning of the end. Yeah. Which I, we all knew. Which we all knew. And I there were like so many of these in this episode alone that you and I both multiple times in this episode were like, oh my God, is he going to die Like this today? episode? Yeah, <laughs> we didn't know. <laughs> it was like so over the top that it felt imminent we were like surely not this episode like, like this far away from the finale like but the noose is tightening yeah. around his neck yeah for yeah sure <laughs> um i did think amari had an especially sweet moment with maddie 
when, you know, she brings Luca down and Maddie asks what she can do. And she tells her that the best thing she can do for Luca is to just be there for him as a friend. And I think it really speaks to Maddie's maturity that she even had the, like, foresight to ask what she could do mm-hmm. instead of just assume. Um, which I thought was, like, you know, she's just a very emo- emotionally mature young woman. Yeah, she. I mean, Maddie's been through she's a been lot. She's been through a lot. And she's had a lot of brains in her brain. You know what I mean? Yeah, she has. That's really gross. I don't know why you would say that that <laughs> <Sorry>. way. That's <laughs> really gross. Um, so finally, Nikki shows up. Murphy opens the door to her. And my question is, why does he open the door to her? I mean, I think, like, I think it's, it's like he's either going to have a Mexican standoff with Nikki at the door or he's going to try and make play this and try and get out of it you know I just feel like there's no need for him to open the door to Nikki I'd be like uh no you just you have been threatening to murder me over and over again Nikki. so not letting you into Fuck my house <laughs> uh but Murphy really does have total faith in Amori and we can see that because he is not even surprised when Amori takes Nikki out like nope. he was expecting it nope and then he does he does like a cute little how do I look on camera and she's like oh good and it's like a little Abbott and Costello bit right here it was <laughs> adorable so uh, Murphy and Amori for the win this episode. Yeah, they truly. are you know, VIP. Yeah. So Jordan- MVP, not VIP. MVP. Yes. Most valuable I mean, they're, they're They're also very important And people. they're VIP. <laughs> Jordan and Hope form a surprising friendship as Jordan comforts her after Dio's death. And in the next cell over, Octavia and Clark bond over their shared circumstances. Then Bellamy comes in trying to explain himself and Clark thoroughly drags him. Bellamy sends Clark into MCAT, but he's clearly conflicted, and then later he watches her being tortured by the MCAT machine. He tries to stop it, but Cadigan knows Clark knows where the flame is, so he manipulates her into making a deal to save her friends if she takes them to the flame. Yeah, so going back to this Jordan and Hope stuff, I gotta say, I really loved this scene, like, way more than I expected anything like this to come out of this episode. Yeah, this was definitely almost out of place in this episode but I also really loved it and it's not a friendship that I saw coming but it's a friendship to me that uh, makes a lot of sense and I think that the two of them um will play off of each other very well yeah I think so too and I also feel like you know just as far as again the mechanics of what this episode is doing we have so much happening and there is a lot of it very bad and sad and devastating and a lot of it bellowing me focused that to just take a minute pause have a breather with Jordan and Hope um was really well placed and very well timed in this episode I think like you're right that it felt really like it didn't belong here but I'm so glad it was here. yeah this um, is one of the first times this episode I cried and I've cried oh, multiple yeah. times in this episode yeah we cried a lot in this episode <laughs> <laughs> you'll get to that but like for sure we both teared up and looked at each other and we were like I'm crying <laughs> who knew <laughs> Um, I love how Jordan first disarms Hope by comparing their childhoods and acknowledging how difficult it is to live among the legends that you were raised on, but like not intimately knowing them or having them necessarily feel the way about you that you feel about them. Um, yeah, we've talked about this yeah, so many times, but it's, it's fun to hear ta- them talking about it mm-hmm. from their perspective. I'm, I'm glad that they bring it up because I was a little worried it would be left unsaid. Yeah. Um, when the truth really is that like none of these people know Jordan and they only really view him as Murphy's son or uh, sorry as a <laughs> Freudian slip there <laughs> as Monty's son um we'll meet Murphy's son yeah. soon, I'm sure. <laughs> or daughter or daughter Murphy would have been great with a daughter yeah he would have been much better with the daughter than <laughs> um 
but yeah, so I, I, I love that they allowed Jordan to kind of admit this. And honestly, like, I really hope that we get the chance to see more of Jordan and Hope um, and their kind of friendship or whatever it is developing in the last four episodes. There's not really any time for us to get, you know, a lot between them, but I just really like the two of them together. You yeah, know? I think that it's been a little bit of a struggle. I think Hope and... Um, Jordan as characters have both suffered from being like add-ons late in the game and both of their storylines have been a little wonky in that they were not very likable at the beginning yeah. and then we sort of found our groove with them but then they sort of take a back step you know and then we like sort of find their groove again and I, I feel like now pairing them together like this is the first time where I feel like they've really found a connection and a a dynamic that I can invest in mm-hmm. um, and I really like it yeah uh, and I also I, I like that Jordan really is able to kind of immediately pinpoint why Dioza did what she did even though he wasn't there um, I do think that really just speaks to the upbringing he had with Monty and Harper um, who both are very you know empathetic emotional people um and that he's like really kind of taken that in and is able to to read um others in a way that maybe some of our main crew cannot definitely i 100 percent agree and in fact he has this like really beautiful line that i just wanted to call out where he tells hope she meaning dioza did it to save you not your life but your soul and it's this revelation that like finally breaks through to hope and gets her to break down and start to feel something other than just pure anger um and that is a enormously challenging difficult thing to do but he did it yeah um i have a really serious question for you okay um so now that the hundreds therapist has died do you think that jordan's vying for her job i don't know if he's vying for it intentionally but (laughs) did he get the job yes (laughs) he's hired Um, so we switched to another scene, and it is the scene that I have been waiting for all my life. It is the scene where Clark Tavia rises. <laughs> good stuff. It is so good. Um, I really love that this kind of gives Clark the chance to see how different and honestly better Octavia's become because, you know, Octavia was, or um, Clark wasn't there for Octavia's, you know, moment um, with Pike in her head or, you know, Octavia's... Uh, 10 years with Dioza, like, processing and healing. And so, like, I, I just love that Clark is kind of able to, like, see her on this level now, you know? Yeah, talk about a 1.0 to 2.0. This is Octavia 2.0, I and mean, it's beautiful thing. And, you know, finally, Octavia just, like, breaks down crying. And this is something that Clark has never really seen from her. She's witnessing regret, sadness, vulnerability, and it's making Octavia very relatable. Um, And I think that the two of them have had a tenuous relationship but a very strong relationship with each other despite all of that and I feel like this is like a come to Jesus moment between them where they're like you know what we really are family like they are there is yeah you know I think with the Blakes it's really interesting that they both are extremely passionate people I always feel even from the very first season that Bellamy his passion runs on love and Octavia's passion runs on fury um which obviously makes sense just given her background but this is really the first time that clark's able to see 
an Octavia that's not angry, you know, like Octavia's not angry. She's upset. She's like devastated, but she's, she's not running on that rage that she used to, even when she wasn't like outwardly angry. No, but she there was, was just like, an angry there person. There was a current of rage mm-hmm. in her that I think almost every 15 year old girl <laughs> can relate to, <laughs> or at least I can. Yeah. Um, um, so I just, I love that, you know, we get to see this and yeah. I do wish that we could have seen a little bit more of Octavia grieving Dioza, um, given how big of an impact Dioza's had on her life True. in the last 10 years, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think it's unfortunate how little time has been given to Dioza outside of hope for others to grieve her, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I guess the only just, other would be Octavia. It's but. just a byproduct of not of, having enough time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so even though none of this is the way that I would have wanted it to play out, I do have to say that having Bellamy enter a room with just Clark and Octavia, so it's like just the three of them alone mm-hmm. together in a room. Just you were del- like, yes. It delighted <laughs> me. I was, I was lit <laughs> from within. I had a warm glowing light that I went to. It's like, you just know, like, this is going to be good. Yeah. It, and it was. It was, it was good. good. It was a gift. Um, as soon as Bellamy comes in, Clark's like, it's about time. Because, like, you just know that she's been sitting there stewing, waiting to give him a piece of her mind. Oh, yeah. She's fucking pissed. Yeah. Even at the beginning of the episode, she's like, I find nothing funny about yeah, this. This is, this is the worst. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. It was funny. <laughs> Um, and it also is just, it's a, the show showing its hand in a way that I don't think it intends to, um, that as soon as Bellamy comes in, Octavia moves to the background and Clark and Bellamy duke it out in a way that it's like, Octavia is his sister. Like, theoretically, she should be front and center. She should be having the conversation. But the show has proven to us again and again and again that it's, Clark and Bellamy they are the main pairing and like everyone else is background characters to them you know what I mean yeah I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's it's so true that it's like it's not just about the writing it's not just about the chemistry everything in the way that this show is produced and its production level even down to the staging centers Bellamy and Clark and Um, their relationship and their relationship Mm -hmm. Bellark yeah um and so for them to continue to deny the existence of Bellark is hilarious when everything they I'm sorry, do. They're not denying it. They're best friends. <laughs> um, I hate that we have to put that asterisk every single time. It's so <laughs> annoying to me. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of great moments in this scene. Yes. Clark is very sassy. The sass is off the charts. I fucking love it. Yeah. It's, I mean, everything Clark says, I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> more. More. Give me more. Um, so Bellamy kind of opens out by explaining what quote unquote happened to him. And he's mixing, he's making it very clear to us that nothing did. Like I, I kept wondering, like, did something happen when he touched the light that maybe like we didn't get to see, but that has like really deeply impacted him? No, nothing happened. He saw Cadigan. He saw his mom. He touched the light. That's it. That's that is what turned him against all of his friends and all of his beliefs and now is what's making him follow Kat again. That. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting because, like, I'm not surprised by this. I, I feel like I wasn't shocked by any of that. It's, I wasn't shocked yeah, by it's, it. It's just sad that there is nothing else to give to that. But I do think it was clear that the most compelling element of this experience was seeing his mother, seeing mm-hmm. Aurora, um, which we – we knew from last episode, but again, he is reiterating here because it's the very first thing that he tells O about, and he's prioritizing that over everything else. Um, and I do think that is not 
an insignificant thing. Sure. I mean, obviously, we talked a lot about that last episode um, and how, like, of course, like, seeing his mother is really emotional and he has a lot of um, unprocessed guilt about that um, that I don't necessarily think that he's processed even yet. No. Um, I did want to mention that it's interesting to me that he phrases this as he chose the light. He saw the light and he chose it. And the light to him, he said, represents, or it, it was beauty and warmth and peace. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to, like, figure out if that could have another meaning aside from, like, the actual transcendence that uh, that Bill Cadigan thinks um, that Bellamy has just kind of assumed is correct. Mm-hmm. But, like, the idea of, like, choosing, like, warmth and peace and beauty maybe isn't about transcendence at all. Maybe it's like whatever the vision and whoever that gave him the vision was trying to tell him, maybe it was just more of like, just stop fighting. Like you don't have to fight anymore. Absolutely. (laughs) And to like find peace, not only externally, but internally as well. And to sort of resolve and forgive yourself of a lot of that guilt that you associate with your mom. And I think that your theory from last time, which is like, they're trying to tell him something. He's just not receiving the message is very still a poss- very much still a possibility. Or how, like, honestly, it could even just be his own subconscious um, because the whole point of this vision was, first off, Cadogan being like, oh, you don't need these guns. And then his mom touching his face, like, I, you know, like, she didn't say it, but like, I, I forgive you. you, I yeah. love you. And then, like, him, like, being surrounded by pe- peace and warmth and whatever. Like, that could just be, like, his own internal self being like, you just, like, need to stop fighting and, like, you know, just chill out. Take a vacation. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be about Cadigan. No, it never like... had to be about Cadigan. Cadigan just continually puts himself in the middle of everything. Yeah. Just like a horribly narcissistic white man would do. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Bellamy is telling them, like, a war is coming. And Clark's all, oh, is that what the cult leader told you? Which, first <laughs> off, great line delivery. Great. Second off, a war is not coming, Bellamy. You are trying to bring on a war. That's two very different things. Yes. And I'm glad you made that distinction because I, I feel like no one else in the cult recognizes that distinction. Mm-hmm. It's like there is a difference between like somebody being like, I'm coming to beat your ass and you learning how to throw a punch versus <laughs> you being like, I'm going to go pick a fight with somebody <laughs> because I don't want anyone to bully me anymore. Yeah. Those are different things. That's a perfect analogy. <laughs> Thank you. I just made it up. Yeah, that was a really fantastic analogy that works on many levels. Um, love it. You're right. This is ridiculous. The whole last war concept is ridiculous. And Bellamy knew that it was and he's just like suddenly drank the kool-aid anyway even though it makes no sense he pointed it out last episode it makes no sense and freaking Doucette didn't have any like explanation for it he's just like oh that's not for us to know yeah but Doucette's (laughs) really hot you know he spent a lot of time in that he looks good this episode he looks real good (laughs) we'll get to that yeah (laughs) um so Octavia asks a very important question and that is, did they even tell Bellamy what happens if they lose the last war? Because, of course, they all just assume they're going to win it. And no, of course not. They didn't explain anything to him and he didn't ask. And so she tells him that if they lose the last war, they're going to end up, turn into stone, just like Medusa. And, like, <laughs> while this is a very important thing that we should talk about, the fact that they, like, didn't tell him about this is important. I did. I think the more important thing here is that she's using yet another Greek mythology as an analogy. And I just love this nerd family. I love them so much. I'm not sure they didn't tell him. Um, I mean, like, I just don't think he cares much. I'm still like, why are you guys, 
Why do they assume that the reason that the Bardoans turned to crystal giants is because they lost the last war? Like, wh- why is that like... Why are these two like, totally different phenomena connected? Yeah. What do they have to do with each other? They're on different planets. I am... And there's just like a lot Wait, of... what's on different planets? Bardo is like... Oh, oh, like the, the like transcending like yeah, the lamp, lights. The lamp is on the, one planet. <laughs> the glow sticks? <laughs> the glow sticks are on one planet. And the Bardoans are on a totally different planet. I don't understand how they're connected. I mean, they're connected literally via the anomaly <laughs> stones. <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> the entire point of the season. Other than that. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's just like, it's quite a leap. And I just don't. I just, I just don't. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> um... Bellamy is kind of talking to Clark and he's like saying, you know, we've seen some wild things. He mentions Allie and the city of light. He mentions the primes, but like the thing that like really kind of nagged at me as he was saying this is it almost felt like he was proving the wrong point because like Russell and the primes weren't gods. They just had like a little chip and like Allie was just an AI. Like that's all it was. It was just a computer program. And this is like something that's very different than that. Um, And so it's like, I like the, the, the thinking, you know, as you go in, like, the alley in the city of light or like the primes as gods like that's like starting out high and then like finding out the truth is like going lower mm-hmm. where this is like starting out low and then just like assuming the highest yeah, and well, what i think is really interesting is like all sort of a lot of times in this show it's it's this like sort of tension between faith and science right and mm-hmm. it's like faith is is like describing the same phenomena or the same miracle without the like scientific terms Mm -hmm. you know it's like science is used to explain the phenomenon that people supply a reason for with their faith sure and i think with the city of light and with the primes those are like you can explain those phenomena scientifically in a way that like there is some real funky shit happening here that scientifically cannot be explained well that's absolutely not true everything can be explained it's just yet. we can't process it yet. Well, that's what I'm saying yeah. is like we don't have a scientific explanation for that for this yet. And so for Bellamy to use these other arguments to support this is like comparing apples to oranges. Um, well, I just think it's it's for Bellamy to like see glow sticks and then assume that like, oh, that must mean that humans are going to transcend. Like, again, I just feel like it's a movement in the wrong direction. It's like a movement um out of the realm of belief whereas like the other things were like you start big and you move into the realm of belief yeah um not that i don't necessarily believe that transcendence in the show isn't going to happen we've talked about yeah or not or not like transcendence exactly but like we've Something. talked about how the the final test might play out um i don't know it was just like it was like a weird thing and i also just like that clark was like i honestly just don't care and also your outfit sucks (laughs) (laughs) you look ridiculous it was just like you know chef's kiss (laughs) it was i didn't know where she was going by the end of that sentence and then she dropped that mic and i was like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) you look ridiculous you should sue Um, and in true Clark style, you know, she tells him, like, of course she was bluffing yesterday, and of course she was never planning on telling them where the flame was. And if Bellamy were in his right mind, he would have known she was bluffing from the beginning, because they were always on the same page. They almost communicated telepathically. They didn't even need words, you know, when they were in their best shape as Bellark. So the fact that he just, like, completely misread her 
behavior and intentions yesterday just again I think speaks to where his mind is at now I mean she like essentially told him she was bluffing she whispered it in his ear they think I have the flame the undercurrent is I obviously don't do not (laughs) in fact you know that since you turned around and betrayed me yeah so it it was just like it was weird it was a weird thing to to accuse Clark of and a weird thing that Clark had to explain to him you know I agree it was it was a it was a strange moment um and then Bellamy's all like I'm the same man who brought you back from the dead uh which first of all is again interesting when you compare it to what he said to Echo which was I am the same man that you love. Right. So like putting kind of the, the onus on Echo. Whereas this one, he's saying like, I'm the same man who saved you. Like putting the onus more on him. Yeah. It's passive versus active. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, really good point. And then second, I just wanted to say that for Clark, like this was only a few days ago. Yeah. He came, he mouth to mouth turned <laughs> five days ago. And now he's like literally ready to like throw her onto Skyrim to yeah, die. Her, her five days has felt like 2020. Right. <laughs> the year of 2020 <laughs> Isn't this whole season of the hundred just twenty twenty? It is. I mean, like it is part of the twenty twenty oeuvre horror <laughs> show. Yes, it is. Um, I often think, like, if this show ended, in, if this season seven occurred in a year that wasn't twenty twenty, what could it have been? Because it's just like the curse is so strong. It is. It just affected everything and everyone that it touched. <laughs> um, Bellamy asks Clark then to believe in him, and then she's all like. Even if what you're saying is true, I still will not help that man start his war. And it was just like, oh. I, it was so good. I it like cleared my skin. I, you know, watered your crops. Watered my crops. My boy, everything is flourishing. <laughs> For like a split second, I saw Eden. It was a really <laughs> amazing line. I just, I love that she's like telling him like, I don't care about transcendence. I don't care if it's true. I still am not going to help Kat again. <laughs> Something I just remembered when we were talking about this after the first time we watched this episode and I was crying because that's what I do now. Um, <laughs> so upset. Um, I was remembering that I had made this point about Octavia being like, I don't want to be a glow stick. <laughs> I just don't want to be a glow stick. It's fair. I <laughs> You know, like Bellamy's like, we could transcend. We could be the light. And Octavia's just like, I don't want to be the light. <laughs> I, I want to be human. I feel like we talked last episode about whether you and I want to transcend. And I feel like I want to, like, um, change my answer, okay. which is that, like, theoretically, yes, like, that would be really interesting. But I would want to do that after a long human life, yeah. you know? Like, I don't want to have to miss out on the pain and the joys of of new humanity yeah I, I i like being human and so like maybe like that could be the next journey after death is like transcendence which is just honestly the afterlife well, like that's what I, I think that was my answer last time was that i think transcendence is the show's answer to what the afterlife is and i think um for me that's always been a really interesting question and not one that i'm i'm not scared to take the next step very much in line with gandalf and dumbledore um but I don't want to do it now. Can I wait like 70 years or so? <laughs> yeah. So I I just really loved Clark saying that. And it just honestly, again, felt like a slapped Bellamy, which I, you know, any slapped Bellamy in this episode, um, I'm here for. And then last or toward the end, we get Bellamy telling Clark that he's trying to save you. Clark, I'm trying to save you. And then he amends it to like, 
I mean all of you. Again. And it's just like, isn't that Bell Arc of Isn't them? that just Bell Arc Like TM? every freaking time, they're always like, no, no, no. I care about everyone, not just Bellamy. You left me. I mean us. <laughs> <laughs> Us. I meant us. Of course, I meant you all of us. You care about him. I care about all of them. <laughs> but you worry about him more, which is true. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and there's something I want to talk about this a little bit because I think one of the reasons why this line from Clark, you know, that she will not help him start that man's war, um, it just really resonated with me because I've been thinking a lot about this this season of how, and again, I'm going to make some like very, very far-fetched accusations that I have really <laughs> nothing to base on like there's no no evidence to support this but like just just go with it. it's my own fucking podcast I can do what I want <laughs> um I just I feel like there is this through line this season of like very overt toxic masculinity um and even though the show goes out of its way to posit it as like bad you know I don't think like any of the men in power this season are supposed to be uh, like good guys mm-hmm. you know we have Shade Hedda we've got Cadigan we've got Jason Rothenberg punishing Bob Morley <laughs> I love that you put him as one of the villains now he's a villain <laughs> um and I feel like everyone is sort of at the mercy of all of these men and while again I know that they're not trying to be like oh we endorse toxic masculinity we still have to endure all of these women Clark Indra Maddie, Octavia, Dioza, Hope, all of these women, um, and some men, but like really the the female characters are the ones who are really getting the brunt of the it. brunt of it mm-hmm. because all of their agency is being stripped from them, and they are at the their whim of these men from both the writing room perspective and the the men in show that is very um, frustrating for me to watch because that's not what I wanted from my last season Mm -hmm. I really want my characters male and female or whatever gender they choose to be to be in control of their own story and to have the agency to make the decisions whether those decisions come with the consequences that they have to deal with the aftermath so much the better Um, but it is very frustrating to me that we have been stuck with our hands tied behind our backs all season long by men um, in power and that all feels like it starts, it's rooted in Jason Rothenberg. And I am so done. I am so done. And this sh- this season, and especially this scene with Bob and Bellamy, particularly, I think, underlined that to me for a point to a point where I finally was able to pinpoint it and um, iterate it for myself. Because it's been bugging me for a really long time, but I haven't been able to nail it down. What about this scene specifically? The fact that Clark was like, I will not help that man start his war. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like his agenda for his power trip like I'm not gonna be used right I will not be used and I have power and I mm-hmm. am a woman and I can see through this bullshit and I'm done and I will not let you help him and, I and was- just her being like completely um nonplussed if you will about the fact that Bellamy wants to start another war Clark is like we have this is everything we fought against right. and to not have to fight we right. don't want to fight anymore that's the whole point right <laughs> so that's just my like that's yeah. my two cents on that. And I, I, I definitely think a little of that is projecting. Um, no, because a lot I do of it. think that, you know, a lot of the female characters have really made their own agency, even though they've had some difficult circumstances, especially in this season. Yeah, but, no, I think you're right. And I, you know, I, it is a huge generalization that I just made. Um, but I, I definitely see like 
I can pinpoint places that that have like brought you to this conclusion. I mean, uh, I'm and like, you're not wrong. No, I just feel like you know, like going through like the all of this from like Becca to Callie and her mom to like Indra. To, I yeah. mean, there's just there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot, and I'm t- tired of I, it. I get it. I mean, we only have four episodes left, so there's not much more that we're gonna have to suffer through. It's true. Um, and then last but not least, in fact, the the best thing is that Clark tells Bellamy to go float himself, um, which honestly was very cathartic for me. <laughs> yeah, it was for me too. But could you elaborate? I mean, it's just like saying, go fuck yourself. Yeah, no, That's it, what is. it is. And she's like saying like, screw you. Like, like honestly, I'm done with you. After like all of this, these conversations that Bellamy's had with Bill and with Doucette and with our Raven and Echo and Octavia and Clark. Like, someone needed to say it yeah. to him. <laughs> I'm yeah. really glad it was Clark. I, I am, too. <laughs> um, so Clark's effective, uh, fuck you, and she's, like, done with this. She's like, I'm finished with it. I have nothing left to say. I've said everything I had to say. And she goes, turns her back. Turns her back and then goes to hold Octavia's hand, and my heart almost burst open. Technically, I, Octavia goes to hold her hand, oh, which I think it, that's an important distinction. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, Octavia reaches out and, and holds Clark's hand in comfort. Which, which I, never happens. Never <laughs> happens. But I uh, truly, my heart. It grew seven it, times it, larger in that moment. They were sister-in-laws. It was. They were sister-in-laws <laughs> after a really brutal divorce. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and then again, Bellamy sees that he's not getting anywhere and tells the guards to take this one, referring does to Clark. Does he say this one again, or does he, he does. say take her? Nope. This he one? says take this one. I noted it okay. on purpose. Um, and refuses to name Clark. And I, again, I don't think we need to harp on this point, but it's really interesting that he can't name either of them. And I also think it's interesting that Clark, even after all of this, is still shocked that he would do this to her. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. she's just got done telling him, like, go fuck yourself. And then, like, when he does this, she's like, you're doing this to me? Right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, uh, yeah, sure, honey, we're fighting. But, like, are you going to throw me under the bus? <laughs> um, and I think it's really important to take a moment to compare this scene with Bellamy's scene um, earlier with Echo and Raven because – they are very different beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, Bellamy in the first scene with Echo and Raven was, as we said, ice cold, emotionless, um, just placid. Yeah. And here, Bellamy is not only emotional, he is tearing up, crying, begging, and very much like at the end of his rope, desperate to get Be- to get um, Octavia and Clark on his side. Um, and I, I mean- think he saved this one for last because it's the hardest yes. for him which says something again again <laughs> it, it indicates who he truly cares about and that's that's just like the final period on that very long sentence <laughs> and now i am done with my sentence and now i am done with my sentence and we may move on um uh, personally though i will say i do feel like octavia should have gotten a chance to talk to him it felt very weird that she didn't in fact um certainly a missed opportunity just given how she's fought so much this season to get back to her brother um and then she's not you know able to like even give more than a line to him here by herself you know like there there should have been much more of a confrontation there because at this point we've never seen them um in these positions before where Bellamy is on the bad side and Octavia is on the good side. You and know what I mean? And she's older than him. And I mean, like, yes, she is literally the older sister now, but <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you. I was very shocked when they cut the scene off and neither, and they hadn't had like a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually like, that's it. That's all we're getting. Um, I completely agree with you. 
Um, but then, you know, at least I can say that <coughs> Bellamy has his OTP set to comfort him. Yeah, I mean, as they drag Clark away, Bellamy is looking on with sadness I guess you could describe it and Doucette comes up behind him and I, I like swear to you I thought he was gonna put his hand on his shoulder and comfort him as a lover <laughs> and I mean like, he does put his that hands. basically happened <laughs> you thought it was gonna be like over Bellamy's shoulder yeah, and Bellamy and would like put his hand yeah, on top like, of hold it. on to yeah. it and like grasp it really just just gen- like Clark and Bellamy did in yes. season four <laughs> and that didn't quite play out like that but it was really fucking I mean, close hands touched shoulders it, they did <laughs> um so that was a thing. Yeah. And, and I, then, you know what? I'm into it. I won't lie. Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I mean, Bellamy's dead to me. So Bellamy, <laughs> three points. He could be happy with <laughs> He could be happy with you. No, it's, this is Bellamy, zero, oh, zero point zero. Sorry, negative four. <laughs> <laughs> Bellamy, negative four. Um, so then moving on, we go to Clark in the uh, torture device. And we <laughs> see that she is beating the machine because, of course, she is. She's it's, Clark. It's the pit of despair. <laughs> They suck the life out of you. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are watching Clark being brutally tortured, and it's not great. And what's even less great is the fact that Bellamy is watching Clark being brutally tortured and just letting it happen. Yeah, and I think something that you and I both talked about when we watched it the first time was the fact that like we were so certain we were going to get a... Oh my um, gosh. Uh, um, I'm so glad memory. you brought this up. Like We <laughs> thought we were going to see Clark's memories and that that would trigger Bellamy to like remember their relationship and what well, they just mean also to each other. Not just them together, but just like remember their life and like everything they've been through. And instead the writers chose to just not show us anything, which I thought was a bizarre it choice. It was just like, it was like um, Chekhov's gun, but not shooting the gun. Right. It like just, when like, you have a off. memory machine and you have Clark in it. With Bellamy you, watching. With Bellamy watching, you have to show memories. Like you can't just not do it. And yeah. like, I guess I realize to some extent it is interesting that, you know, Clark, withstands the machine or at least is able to beat it back long enough um to not have them get into her mind and I do like that um and I also realized that like had they gotten into her mind she probably they would have found out where the flame was but not necessarily no I feel like because Octavia fought it yeah I think they could have like broken in and then we could have seen some memories or whatever and then she would be like find a way to beat it it was a wildly missed opportunity and I just I'm like I'm still in shock that they did they they made nothing of that you know I know it was bizarre but it is what it is um so Bellamy's watching Clark being tortured which I absolutely hate and again is just like my opinion of you right now Bellamy really couldn't get much (laughs) lower you are a slug (laughs) um but Bellamy I, I guess to his credit Bellamy knows Clark knows something because it's fucking Clark yeah. and she always knows something. You know what I mean? Right. And still he tries to save her anyway. He tries to get Kat again to stop to this. To back off. Um, by saying like she doesn't know anything but of course she knows something. She's Clark. Yeah. So but that is, I think is, a little you know, bit of this is denial because I think it is really hard for him to oh, watch. Sure. You know? Um, but he doesn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. And you know then Cadigan responds to him and makes an excellent point that like she wouldn't be trying to fight if she had nothing to hide and it's like which well, is not true. I think even if Clark had nothing to hide, she'd fight anyway. That's just true. on sheer principle. That's true. <laughs> it would be very Clark to do that, but I don't think Cadigan knows her that well. Well, that's true. Um, and then in true true Clark fashion, she waits until the very last moment to make her play and negotiates the safety of her friends without a second thought for her own safety again. Um, and offers up the flame to Cadigan with the catch that, you know, she will bring it, bring him to it instead of vice versa. And 
you know, it nice. just felt like a very Clark moment. It me. is interesting, and you gave her a lot of agency when you said that she waits until the last moment because I definitely read this scene as Cadigan <laughs> manipulating her of like, oh, I guess we're just going to send her friends to Penance, just start the first one, like like pushing her to, um, you know, make this deal that he knew that she probably would eventually make to save her friends. Yeah. Um, I did not feel like Clark had that agency in this moment, unfortunately. I think it's interesting because I think they were playing each other. I, I don't. I don't think you're wrong in the way that you're characterizing it, but I also think that she, I think she was worried that if she gave in too early, um, that there were more chances for him to take advantage of her. And I, I think she needed to wait for him to be truly desperate and not get anywhere with her, um, for her to make this final play. And also to be desperate enough that like, she's, I like torture that, here. Like I said, I like that you're giving her agency. I would. That's the way I would like to think about okay. it. I don't know if that's the way the writers intended it. <laughs> Given that it's a room of toxic masculinity, as yeah. you're saying. <laughs> as I was saying earlier. <laughs> not sure. I'm not sure about that, though. <laughs> Jason's in the writer's room. So it... <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I have no evidence to support this at all, other than <laughs> seven feelings and, and being, like, torn around by our heartstrings yeah. uh, in not a good way for seven years. Yeah, and that's... Um, also, and like, to be disrespected by Jason Rothenberg many, many times and to have the fact that he really looks down on people who ship and people who like romance. Right. Um, very, that's very clear. We've like heard that in interviews and stuff. And also I, I have that, a like, lot of like disgust. For I that. think the way that he views fandom, which is m- primarily fueled by women, mm-hmm. um, and his like distaste for it is very toxic and so yeah it's it's the way that like things that women like tend to be um looked down upon right. and i just feel like even Jason, though they're like the machine that fuels his literally show. like we made this show i mean like not 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 just counting that there are like a lot of guys who watch yeah, this no. who and love all this show of the guys listening right now like we we applaud you and we you guys are great you and this is not about you but we're it's- just saying like fandom especially these kinds of fandoms um is very often started and um carried through by women like even as far back as like star trek which was kind of the first fandom and you know star wars too. um but like star trek was the first the fandom first. Yes, it was. and that was essentially run by women in the early days and it has become a lot more like bastardized by the idea that like men are the only ones who care about nerdy things and that is like historically untrue i know it's like that's where i was going with this really uh, yeah exactly and i feel like this is all wrapped up in why my distaste for this feels I feel so strongly about it and why this episode like clinched it for me <laughs> um anyway so so that's so what is we're all, saying is so that is all true uh, misogyny <laughs> a very angry woman um and so then Bellamy comes up to her at the end and to Clark and is um it's just so heartbreaking because he tells her that it didn't have to be this way and she responds with a tear running down her face and she just says simply Yes, it did. And it was devastating. Well, it's devastating. And it's also like Bellamy, our Bellamy, knows, knows. that it had to be this way. Yeah, like Because she would have course, never given up. This is Clark. This is why you love Clark, yes. honestly. Like. So I just have to keep reminding myself that they're married in real life. It's okay. And it's okay. And that, like, <laughs> even if this ends terribly, they're still they're married. They're still married. <laughs> they have two dogs. All is well. Yeah. So Murphy tells a tied-up Nikki about Hatch's last moments and tries to shame her for working with Shaytetta when Hatch never would have done so. 
Maddie comforts Luca by sharing stories of her past. Knight tells Shade Hedda that he followed Indra, and they show up at the machine shop. Murphy leaves Amori in the reactor and goes upstairs to deal with Shade Hedda, who clearly knows where the missing people are. Amori threatens to blow up the reactor if they come down, and so Shade Hedda takes Murphy as a prisoner. They are at a stalemate. So uh, let's talk about Yankee first. Oh, yes. And let's. my statement is going to be like I obviously did not like Nikki before I think she's a useless character does not have any role in this show should not exist but now the fact that she wants to murder all of the children in this bunker or like give them over to Shade Hedda to murder means that she needs to die a horrible and painful death yes she's the worst the good news is I really do think she is going to die a horrible and painful death it's just not as soon as I would like yeah I mean she's obviously not going to be alive at the end of this season I would like it to be now (laughs) really like I would have liked it to be like eight episodes ago sure no that's much better (laughs) like reverse again I wish Hatch would have stayed alive yeah um Murphy does seem to be able to pinpoint his opponent's weaknesses though uh because he immediately brings up Hatch to Nikki and is like trying to take the sacrifice in vain tact this is the second time he's tried this it didn't work before (laughs) it doesn't work now but like a plus for effort Murphy a plus and uh, you know talking about uh women having agency as much as I hate Nikki she's playing Murphy like a fiddle right now fucking fiddle (laughs) Murphy thinks he's got the upper hand when like Nikki's just like I'm gonna make him think that I'm listening to what he's saying when really I'm trying to get my vines undone (laughs) right exactly and he walks away and he's like god I'm good and Amori's lapping it up and I'm just like you both are stupid like you are fools (laughs) fools Um, I will say, though, to be fair, let's stop pretending that Hatch was, like, the epitome of goodness because he killed a bunch of people for no reason. I mean, for sure. But I think, to Murphy's credit, he's using this not to to frame him as a good person, but as an important person to Nikki. Um, At least Hatch regretted it, at least, you know? It's true. It's true. Uh, And then, yeah, Nikki is trying to get free at the end. I don't like where this is going. But also, like, I don't care. I really don't care. But I still feel like Nikki could be the one to kill Murphy in some way. Um, you know, like, again, like our, our listener had mentioned, yeah. um, like, Nikki tries to kill Raven and Murphy, like, pushes her out of the way or whatever and gets the bullet for her. Um, I just, I still feel like that's going to happen. So it's like, I hate Nikki. I wish she weren't here, but I still feel like she has a purpose in the end game. If she doesn't have a purpose in the end game, then it's really like, what the hell were they keeping her around for? Well, we like, just... like, why kill Nelson, who was at least interesting, and keep Nikki? Because <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. I know, I know. Um, what was happening this season? I don't know. Who, who wrote this? Oh, God, <laughs> people will probably. Ask. I did like this episode. <laughs> no, it's true. I did like. I mean, we have. A, we're talking a yeah, lot. Yeah. Um, and speaking of things that I liked, Murphy has a really great line here that he um is explaining to Nikki what went down with Hatch, and he says, "Raven, in one of her more questionable moments, that I nevertheless respected." Um, I just I really appreciated this little specific nugget because for me I was a little unsure about how Murphy felt about that moment Mm -hmm. and I just like it never got addressed between it never got addressed between them and I just really like that he despite everything it was he respects her for it Mm -hmm. and so like I'm okay now I, I mean, good. like, I think Murphy, I'm not surprised that he respects her No, for I'm it. not either. I just <laughs> needed it to be stated. Yeah, I agree. I was a little unclear. I definitely agree. Now that I feel was, better. That me. was a great line. Um, and then kind of moving away from this stupid scene <laughs> into another stupid <laughs> scene. Stupid scene. This is a great episode, I promise. 
<laughs> so like there's this like weird interaction between Shaitan and Indra and he's like telling her to let the others clean up the blood as if it's like beneath her like he's like let the others do it Indra and I'm like I'm just like I thought he was trying to humiliate her by like making her do this but also he's like you're too good for that it's just like so well I think what he was trying to do are you the shade Hedda whisperer you've been doing this all episode sorry I think what he was really (laughs) I'm a a shade Hedda apologist (laughs) no I just I'm having a podcast conversation with you you ask a question and I'm gonna try and answer it you've been doing good I that was not a uh, I'm not offended I'm, um, I'm impressed it's a little scary for me though now that you mentioned it <laughs> I don't want to be able to she had a whisper um no, what I think the writers were trying to do was have Shade Hedda create sort of a wedge between Indra and Tree Crew and sort of dismantle their loyalty to her by having her have Tree Crew mop up the blood but instead of having her giving those orders she joined them which only would strengthen their bond and their loyalty for her and that is why you he was like you don't need to do that you know you're above them and she very much emphatically was like no i am part of them which you know she's refusing to play his game i think that is much smarter than what the writers intended okay <laughs> i think that is a great explanation and had the writers shown that like if they'd even like shown like some of her people like looking at her as she did that but nothing it was there was nothing none of them were looking at her it didn't seem to matter well, I think I like just, your explanation. Let's just go with you. You know, this is kind of weird and a little messy. Okay. <laughs> it's a little messy. That's fine. I truly it's believe that's that's the that's the truth of all of this. But it is a little bloody. But, but um, um anyway, <clears throat> I have never in my life this is quite a statement seen a more melodramatic chair than this. <laughs> Like, is he trying to be a villain stereotype? Like, yeah. he, he he couldn't try any harder. No, he, like, he's, like, a villain fanboy. And there is no lumbar support in this chair. Oh, no. That is not a comfortable chair. That's the funniest. I mean, like, the funniest. Here's what's funny. The writers and then the production team and Jason, we'll just keep throwing him <laughs> under the bus, Um, we're all, like, we're going to have this really intense crazy iron throne for yeah the i was gonna say it's like game of thrones but skulls with skulls <laughs> and it's gonna look crazy badass and then they bring it in and then he first of all sit he it. looks ridiculous and then <laughs> second of all he sits in it and then he just like slides down <laughs> and slouches because there's no lumbar support you can almost see jr born kind of wince with his like, like 40 year old body he's like, he's like oh I, can't I guess get he's up. older than 40s, probably like what 50? Whatever he is. No, he's probably like 43. Okay, whatever he is, <laughs> it hurt me looking at but him. But it just is so it's such an unpowerful position to be like slouched in your throne <laughs> because you can't sit up straight. Like that's not what a He's 50 years old. I just looked it up. Oh, I was damn. Correct. Well, he looks um, fantastic. He does look <laughs> real good. I mean, not going to lie there. Um, but also like Honestly, I should not be in that chair. I need well, more back support you than You have that. a terrible back. I have a terrible back. I'm 30 years old, almost, and I have a terrible back. So I know for a fact that J.R. Bourne slash Russell slash Sade Hedda should not be sitting in that chair without, like, a pillow. <laughs> it was ridiculous and did not – it did not do what it was supposed to do. No, it was funny. It played for laughs. It was like, like, it was like a joke. It was like a – they were making fun of themselves, except they're clearly taking themselves very seriously. Yeah, too seriously yeah. for this to be a joke, which it was. 
Um, so then Knight comes in and proves that he truly is, like, the most valuable minion <laughs> ever on this show. He brings Shade Hedda three things in a row, all things that Shade Hedda desperately wants. Uh-huh. Number one is his skull chair. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because he's it's real like, big. He's like, oh, I made Knight. This for you. <laughs> he's like, oh, Knight, my dear. We we had dear. a craft corner downstairs. <laughs> my dear. <laughs> this is sweet, what I made. Sweet Knight. <laughs> And number two, he brings in the anomaly stone, which, like, we had no idea that this was an easy thing to carry. <laughs> um, or let alone that, like, she had well, even really cared. It's not an easy thing to carry. And they set it down on that stand and it, like, crumples the stand. And I'm like, did you guys, did you really carry it all the way here? With just, what was there, four of them? Maybe it was six. I don't know. Whatever the case, it's still too heavy the for you to have carried didn't it. Really yeah, add no. up is my point. Um, and then of course number three is the info that Nikki is missing and that he tailed her. So like, all I gotta say is like, give this guy a raise. He is really <laughs> working overtime here. I think he just wants like a couple pats on the head. A good boy, you know. Uh, yeah, a good boy pat. <laughs> um. So then we move into this scene in the reactor. And it's really sweet um, between Maddie, Luca, and the other kids as Maddie sort of like takes on the mantle of comforting not just Luca, but all of them and starts regaling them with her stories of surviving on Earth and distracting them from the horror around them. And I just was so moved by this. I loved it. Yeah, I this scene honestly made me weirdly emotional yeah like I like I cried I was like really affected by it and I think it's because when I like dug deep I think it's because it reminds me of better times on the show um which is for me like the start of season five we had been so excited to see it because like season four I loved and like the end of season four was so great um and it felt like the show was back on track after like all the shit that happened in season three yeah and then like the first episode of season five was so good. Like, honestly, there were a lot of, to be fair, there were a lot of good episodes in season five, but like as a whole, it ended up being so disappointing. Yeah. And so, and then like, of course, last season was good, but they set up all of this and like never really followed through on it um, in a lot of ways. And so like, for me, it just felt like that was kind of where the show died. Yeah. <laughs> it was like when Maddie and Clark met, which sounds terrible. No, but no, I, I 100% It was simpler times. Yeah. Purer times. Yeah. And for sure. And it just, it, you know, I think we have as much fatigue as the characters do at this point. Yeah. Um, and I just, I loved the way that she was talking about Clark and like the idea that like Clark has become a living legend, like in her own lifetime. And not just the way that like Maddie looks up to her, but the way that Maddie you know that is like using Clark to inspire others and the way that Clark's just like overall like personhood inspires others and she's just a force to be reckoned with like she's just amazing and I I I love the way that Maddie talks about her Clark is my favorite and I will say this episode was peak Clark it was 100% honestly in my opinion the first episode that was peak Clark this episode or this season you would I mean like was it maybe because she was back with barely in it well i was gonna say with bellamy like well bellamy is back in this episode not just that but like her um just like take no bullshit take charge make plans like fix the problems like this is clark outsmart your opponent that i love the most and they've just done her such a disservice this season for you know i'm not really sure what reasons there could be um you know i'll let i'll let the speculation stay um but this was clark this episode was what i love about her and so i was i was glad to see it again yeah agreed 
So then we go back over to the reactor room again, um, and we see that Momori is cock-blocked once more. Yep. These two just, like, they cannot catch a break. I'm really worried that they're just going to be cock-blocked until Murphy dies. Like, I mean, they deserve, like, one last hurrah. I feel like that might be very, very possible. I'm, I feel like it's very likely, yeah. in fact. <laughs> um, unless, unless they want to do a really cheesy thing where it would be, like, they have sex on, like, the episode that Murphy dies, and then, like, Amori finds out later that she's pregnant from, like, them having sex that one time right before he died. You know what I mean? It would be really hard to figure out which time, because this has only been taking place over, like, five days. No, but it would be, like, the show being, like, uh, you know. Like, the, the show would point us toward that point I would that find that point very annoying. Because we've seen this whole season, they have not been able to have sex. <laughs> it's been so hard. <laughs> it's it's not been hard. Well, That's but the we thing. know like four <laughs> days ago they were in bed together and had sex the night before. So like, do we know that? Yeah, we okay. know that. Well, we don't know that. We do. We don't. Maybe they were really tired because and they, they were like was, looking like, forward come back to like to bed. And they well, they like, were in bed. Yes. No, no, no. We I'm don't sure, know I'm sure for sure. Sex. I'm just saying they deserve their shot. And I want them to have That's it. a really poor use of the no, word shot. No, that was intentional. <laughs> I know, but I didn't like it. <laughs> um, okay, back on top. You know what else I didn't like? Mm. Changing gears there. So Murphy being all like, I've got this. I'm coming back. And those are famous last words if I ever heard them. Oh, yeah. And now he didn't die in this episode. Although at this point I was like, is, is he, he going to die? die? Yeah, this is where things were getting real chancy. We were like, oh, God. But he definitely, it seems like he sealed his own fate at this point. So Yeah, and I feel like the show has really gone out of its way to be, you know, show his redemptive arc as much as humanly possible um, so that, like, when he dies, like, we all feel like he's earned it at yeah. this point. You know, there's really no ifs, ands, or what's about it yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um. And to that point, I just wanted to point out that this scene was a was a real reversal from the earlier one in the season when he let Amori risk her life to save the others. But here, he's like really making sure that she's the one to stay behind and stay safe. Yeah, this is what I've been looking for from Murphy for like ever now. Yeah. Um. So glad that I see it here in the last five episodes. Yep. But <laughs> yep. Well, he got there eventually, right before he, he had did. To die. It, it took him a while, but he did get there. Uh. And then Indra, you know, when Murphy goes upstairs and opens the door and all of Jayhead's men comes in, Indra, like, whispers, like, he knows. And Murphy's like, yeah, I got that. With the with the 20 soldiers in here? I, I did get that hint. I pieced it together. <laughs> He's like, I figured. <laughs> um, and then, of course, like, even scared... Murphy can't help but smile when Amori calls she'd had a Cyclops. She's just, like, so proud of Amori. And to be fair, I don't support ableism, but I do support anyone insulting she'd had a, so. Of course. This wasn't about making fun of the fact that he has one eye. It's about making the fact that he's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did just want to say, like, this... This a moment where Amori threatens Shade Hedda, it was a bamf move, and it was really great. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, she's and great. Mori is a Bamf, and I like that she's getting to showcase that, the actress, a little bit more this season. Again, wish that we'd seen it a lot more. I, I keep thinking, like, you know, trying to list my top five characters, and in so many ways, like, Mori could have and should have been in that top five. Yeah. Um, I still think back to, I think I, did I mention this on the last episode? Yeah. 
I can't remember if it's like I'm ever just like I'm talking to you. Or I know. We run into this problem a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess I should just say I love Amori. I think she's so great. Um, she's been underutilized. And this season, at least, they're doing her a little bit more justice. So Yeah. I agree with all of that. Uh, and then, you know, Murphy kind of comes in now after Amori's made her threat. And he's just so fucking smug. Yeah, he Like, he's, he's scared. But, like, he also knows that they kind of, like, pulled one over on Chaitetta, and I just really appreciate that. And I also appreciate that, like, he's less scared because he knows that, like, Mori at least is safe at this point in time, um, which just makes me feel good. And and I love that it's, like, very Murphy to be so smug even in the face of danger. Yeah, so. he's smooth, you know. Yeah. He, he's always playing to who they think he is. Mm-hmm. Um and again to that point he tells Shadehada that they've reached what is called a stalemate in chess which I just really like they like <laughs> teaching him what a term in chess is just to add insult to injury I thought it was very cheeky yeah I mean like he's I love how he keeps bringing up the chess thing yeah no it's great <laughs> in the stone room Clark watches her friends go into the anomaly but before Raven and Gabriel can go in Cadigan shuts it down realizing revealing that he didn't send her friends to Bardo and that Raven and Gab- or Gabriel, I almost called him Gabriel. <laughs> I don't think he would mind. <laughs> and that Raven and Gabriel couldn't go with them because they know too much about how the stone works. Clark is furious, but there's nothing she can do. On Bardo, the anomaly opens in the throne room and Clark and Cadigan's group comes through only to see everything that has happened in her absence. So first off, when they're in the stone room, I just have to say, Miller is not, we've, we've talked in depth about our um, disgust with the way that they've handled Miller's character or not handled it. But I do love that Miller is like super cl- team Clark and like he checks in like you okay with this Clark before he goes in. It's just like, it's, it's so great. good and I, I love it. I also love that like he is both team Octavia and team Clark and now team Octavia and Clark are the same <laughs> team and it's just, it's, it's great. lovely. It's it is lovely. And I love it. Um, so we, we got to discuss the fact that these people just got sent to a planet that was not Sanctum. Correct. Um, which let's all be real here. They got sent to earth. They did. Am I right? They got sent to earth. They definitely got sent to earth. They were made to wear helmets, which means they were going to a slower planet. And the only slower planets that they have programmed in are Sanctum, which they didn't go to. Nakara, which I can't imagine they'd send them to because that's not a safe place. Again, he mentioned they were guaranteed safety. Yeah. And then Earth is the third small, uh, slower one. So right. it has to be Earth. I don't really know how or why. You know, like earlier Earth was offline. I I guess maybe they just turned it back online. I don't really understand this whole situation. No, I don't um, understand it at all. And I hope that they like explain it a little bit because I don't really see what the point would be of Earth having been offline if that was not going to come into play some way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like another Chekhov's gun that just never went off. So I guess we'll see, but they are obviously on Earth, so can't wait to see that. And <laughs> I can't wait for them to reunite with Gaia. Same. Who's, who's also, also on chilling Earth. on Earth, maybe with a hot disciple. That's who's... what I'm... We, we came up with a headcanon after... <laughs> Oh, wait, did we not say that on the podcast? I don't think we came up with this on the podcast. I think this was after the episode where we were talking about how Gaia is definitely on Earth. Her name literally means Gaia. Um, See, I think Gaia has the opposite journey of Bellamy where, like, she turns a disciple to her side because she's, like, so hot and cool. And he's... Yeah, and she, like, has, like, a levit with her. Yeah, and he's like, oh, wow. Oh, hot damn. (laughs) Screw Cadigan. Or a female disciple. This is my... That's true. Equal opportunity. Or any sort of gender-presenting person in any sort of way. Just some disciple who is, like, hot diggity. Gaia is 
fine AF, my new shepherd, <laughs> Gaia. <laughs> and they start a new happy religion yeah. on Earth. Um, going to be so disappointed when that's not the case. <laughs> we finally <laughs> rendezvous back with her. I mean, she did go with someone. So I feel like that has to come, you know, I still think it's someone. Meredith, but whatever. Yeah, um, I did want to say, what did I want to say? Oh, I was going to talk about how I liked that Cadigan was like, keen enough to keep Raven and Gabriel because he like knows how intelligent and valuable they are which like obviously we can't deny him that fact but like it was like definitely something I like that they called it out I like that they kept Raven only because I still feel like Raven's gonna be the one to bring back the the flame flame and I I actually now that I'm looking at it it's probably gonna be Raven and Gabriel together yeah um and they're gonna do some sort of trickery yeah and and they're gonna like merge the flame technology with the prime technology with the what are they called the mind drives the mind drives which is basically the same technology almost. yeah and then do like a trick or room. yeah i don't know what the trick is gonna be but there's gonna be a trick for sure obviously <laughs> um i also love that gabriel and raven share several looks with each other throughout this scene and yes that's pretty much all it takes for me to ship it i mean i clearly ship gabriel with literally everything um because he's got chemistry no, with like a stick anything it doesn't even have to have a heartbeat like goad is <laughs> I a just real said thing a stick you'll get goad goad is the transcendent uh, love story <laughs> if you will like goad can exist in its purity and and gabriel can still have yeah he's like um, a polyam- physical relationship yeah, he's a polyamorous guy he can have goad and others goad is his one true love yeah. though <laughs> um i did get like a little bit of a vibe between echo and Doucette because they're the only ones that like had the conversation and echo kind of like faces off against Doucette and is like oh yeah send on your fighters and first and he's like I still don't remember what he said. <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like, cannot be, can never be too ca- careful. Or oh, right. That's like what that. he said. He's like, can never be too careful. He does not and they like give way. each other eyes. <laughs> Sarah, they give each other completely eyes. And then Echo an looks. entirely new element to the script. <laughs> and then Echo looks at Bellamy. And then they all have this like look between them. And like, Echo knows what's going on. Dosette knows. And he's like also a little jealous of Bellamy's past like, flight. As my best friend in high school would say, is a little cheat cheat. Doset, I really love Doset. And then the look that Bellamy exchanges with Echo before Echo goes into the um, anomaly is just so flat and unemotional. And I'm just like, this is supposed to be your boyfriend, your partner, and I, I, he's only been gone for a few months, and he's just like dead faced to you oh yeah no i mean like when i saw you writing this out i was like what look he didn't even give her a look there's well they they do exchange a look they do but it's it's but it's so it's a non-look yeah (laughs) um and so they the rest of them go through and they close the gate before raven can go through and clark surmises that they've gone to a different or raven surmises they've gone to a different planet Clark asks Belle if he knew about this deception, and he doesn't answer because he doesn't have to. Like, of course he knew about this. Dead yeah. to me. Dead to me. He's not. It's not. It's not great. It's and not I, a good I, look, maybe Belle. I don't. I'm probably. I'm being harsher. I think than perhaps is logical here, but it's just hard when a character that you love betrays the people that you love. You know, like 
He's, he's betraying people that I care about. You know what I don't care about? This stupid last war and Cadigan's cult. I mean, you know, I, I wanted Cadigan to come. I did. I still think he's an interesting character, but I never thought that I would like him. He's terrible. He sucks. <laughs> I was also yelling at her after we watched the episode about how I feel like she, like, actualized Cadigan into being <laughs> and that this entire situation is her fault all my fault <laughs> um which i stand by can we just laugh also at the fact too speaking of cadigan that he's like when all this is over you guys are welcome to come fight with us and raven and gabriel are like okay yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're good though thank you yeah um and finally switching gears here we go back to sanctum and murphy is just sitting by shadehead's side like a little court jester i honestly expected him to be wearing like that little like jingly hat I, see i expected him to be wearing a gold bikini <laughs> and to be tied to the throne so yeah. <laughs> yeah although he would be mortified if he was in the job of the hut in that scenario like he is fit as fuck shadehead yeah well it would be a very different vibe but you know i'd be into it as well <laughs> no <laughs> no what if instead of a gold bikini it was just like um a speedo like a gold bedazzled speedo uh with a court jester hat sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll merge our visions <laughs> um so yeah so clark and company arrive and basically they're just like what the fuck yeah like and clark's like i left you for one minute and this is what i returned to <laughs> like yeah. the last that clark knew First off, Shadetta doesn't exist. It's Russell. Right. Um, and, like, they had him locked away, and they were, like, trying to clean up the town. And now Russell's here sitting on a crown of, thro- of skulls. Yeah, Wait, throne uh, of sitting, skulls. Sorry, sitting on a throne of skulls with Murphy playing chess tied to yeah. his hands <laughs> tied together. And, like, there's Bound. blood still places. The anomaly stone sitting there. Like, all of the children of Gabriel are gone. Yeah, and there's just, like, the it's... one crew who are serving. It's just there's a lot. It's a hot mess. And to Murphy's point, gee, where to begin? I do really appreciate Murphy's look of utter relief when he sees that Clark's back. It's like, Mom's home. Everything's going to be fine now. God. She'll save us. <laughs> as she does. As, as she will. As <laughs> she will. And so that was the episode. Um, as always, we have a few discussion points that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is the title of this episode, which, again, is The Stranger. And so... I don't think it's a mystery who this is about. We all know who the stranger is. It's Bellamy. Uh, And it's devastating because he is their best friend and more in a lot of ways than Mm -hmm. the heart of this show. And he's not only a stranger to them, he is a stranger to us. And I don't think we need to recount all the ways in which that is devastating. (laughs) Um, And then I was about to call you McCabe. Sarah made a really good point, too, that Murphy, in some ways, is also a stranger in this episode because he's acting against his cockroach instincts and finally becoming the hero that he needs to become before he can ultimately make a sacrifice (laughs) of a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. It's like one good stranger and one bad stranger. Yeah, but it was like one good stranger that was like like a tiny piece of the episode and one bad stranger who was like (laughs) the majority of the episode. (laughs) Not equal, not balanced. Um, what was your favorite line? Um, this was really hard. I think I I have it. It's tied. Um, your favorite line is tied with my favorite line for my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one I chose, since you chose the other, was Clark's "Go float yourself." Yeah, that was um, real good. Because again, it was just it was very cathartic. It needed to be said. You know, remember in season five when Clark slapped Bellamy's face. 
Yeah. And it was like, just it like Clark's not a slapper, and yeah. I still feel it, like Clark isn't a slapper. Yeah. Because I think with Clark, her words wound much more than like any physical thing that she does. Yeah. Um, and so I just really felt like that "go float yourself" was just like there was a lot in there. It was. It, was, <laughs> it really needed to be said. Yeah. And what about yours? My favorite line is obviously, um, "I will not help that man start his war," which I feel like I have expounded upon ad nauseum at this point so I will not re- review <laughs> um what was your favorite scene my favorite scene was the Clark and Octavia stuff because I've been waiting for it for so long I think these two actresses play off each other so well they're very different people and that's why they're so interesting together um but I also like seeing them kind of reach a point where they're able to understand each other on a different level and so this was great and I loved it yeah I 100% <laughs> agree with all of that what um, about yours my favorite scene was right after it with all the Clark and Bellamy stuff because I did truly enjoy her taking him down a peg yeah and verbally beating the shit out of him um but I will say that a very close runner-up was the Hope and Jordan scene because it was I surprisingly good absolutely loved it yeah so the next episode is 713 Blood Giant in this episode the red sun derails Clark's plans and first off can I just say that like it's we only have four episodes left and we're taking another red sun episode i know do we have time for that well, i don't we know do. I mean, apparently we do um i guess my other question for this episode is do we think this will just be set on sanctum or are we going to see where cadigan sent the rest of the group i think it's just going to be on sanctum i just I- feel like we've got to like catch up with this group really soon because there's still a lot of arcs left to complete with them yeah and if I we don't, don't see them in this episode, that only gives us three more episodes of them i just i, I hate it Yeah, no, I don't think it's good, but I don't think that we're going to get them. Okay. Um, All right, guys, that was our episode. If you'd like to contact us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at skycast, and you can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our episode. Until next time, may we meet again. May we meet again, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.